0: Then he adds, and of angels, by the way. I don't think he's saying there's such a thing. I think he's actually saying the tongues of angels is sort of hyperbole. If, in other words, if, if you did this spiritual gift and you did it on steroids, you did it to the max, you did it beyond what anybody's ever done, if you could do it better than anybody else, but you don't have love, you're just a bunch of noise. You're just a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal, like I would be as an instrumentalist in the band. Just a bunch of noise. Uh, getting in the way. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, if you knew life like the back of your hand, if you knew the Bible backwards and forwards, if you understood it—not just knowing it informationally, but understood it—somebody say, "Yeah, I was thinking about the sovereignty of God and evangelism." Oh yeah, yeah. And you just you understood it. You had that kind of insight. Uh, I, they're talking about the problem of suffering and and the difficulty of innocence. Oh yeah. You know, and you actually, it wasn't just arrogant stupidity, but you actually understood what you were saying. Uh, If you had all that, if you understood that much, had that level of insight, that level of wisdom, but you don't have love, what's he say? I am nothing. If I give away all that I have, how many philanthropists give away all that they have? Give away all that I have. Not just be generous you know, not just the, the the first fruits, but all that you have, if I give away my body to be burned. In other words, not that you just start lighting yourself up. That's not the idea. The idea was that if you're witnessing for the faith and you're out there sharing the gospel and you get persecuted to the level that it's either deny Jesus or die, uh, and d- deny Jesus um, or die, and you Stand up for Jesus, and you die. If you did that, but you don't have love, what does he say? I gain nothing. Now, this is what this should bother us. We read this so many times. By the way, how many of you have had this read at a at your wedding, or if you heard heard of this at a wedding? Some of you aren't married. Some of you can't find a date, right? So, <laughs> I heard that from Josh. So. No, I mean, if you, if you had, I mean, I'm a college professor. I'm used to, used to 20-somethings. So if you had this context read at your wedding, that's awesome. It's exactly right. You need to learn how to love each other in marriage. But this context is actually about the body of Christ. It's about the church, right? This is about, this is about the church. So what Paul's doing is saying this. This is what should bother us. If, if you came to me, and you knew the Bible like the back of your hand, you had wisdom beyond all measure, you had amazing use of spiritual gifts, your prayers were changing things, and you could do miracles through your faith, and you were standing up for the gospel and being persecuted and in jail for your faith, and you'd just given away your last cent for the kingdom of God, and I thought you weren't as loving as you needed to be, you know what I would probably say is, you know what, you're doing quite good, I appreciate all your giving. Let's add love to the equation, and you got it. Wouldn't that be what you would think to say? That's not what he says. He says, if you're not doing this out of love, he says, I am nothing, I gain nothing. I mean, that's pretty strong, isn't it? You walk away, you think you just built a resume, a spirituality resume? You think God's being impressed. You're pushing it across the table, interviewing with God, and you're impre- he's impressed with your resume because you've done all the following things. You've checked off every box you know to check. Everybody around you is impressed. Why wouldn't God be impressed? And God is saying, this is worth nothing. What in the world? We just did the list. We just checked off every spiritual box that we knew to check off, and God is not impressed. What is going on? What does Paul do? He turns the tables upside down on their approach to spirituality and says, it's not about the list. It's not about checking off boxes. It's about loving God and about loving others. Somebody else said that somewhere along the way, named Jesus, right? The two highest commands in the whole Bible is to love God fully and to love our neighbor as ourselves. And by the way, Jesus is echoing and reiterating the Old Testament. where. Deuteronomy saying the highest end is to love God fully, Deuteronomy 6 and Leviticus 19, to love your neighbor as yourself. And so Paul's echoing the, the real traditions, the real uh, voices uh, of spirituality, and he's saying this, this is about love. Love is the pinnacle of our spirituality. Love is the pinnacle of true spirituality. If you think about it, he is addressing the primary problem of the Corinthian church, which is the primary problem of all of our lives and the primary problem of any, any particular church or, or, or people. It's a problem of love. We think that the problem might be a budget problem. We think the problem might be an evangelism problem. We think the problem might be a culture problem. The problem of, of my life, the problem of yours, the problem of everybody's life is essentially, are we increasingly growing in love? Are we, are we more loving today than we were yesterday? Are we centered around God and the good of others or not? The, fi- the primary failure of the Corinthian church was a, was a failure to love. They, some were impatient and unkind. Uh, some were filled with jealous ambition, egos, and puffed up. Some wanted their own way and fought for it, and they were more worried about promoting themselves and the good of others. They fought over, they even were showing division over their leaders. They were showing division over who was the best leader. They were showing division over taking the Lord's Supper, where the rich were neglecting the poor. And Paul even said, what you're doing isn't even the Lord's Supper, it's your own Supper, because it was so far from displaying the body of Christ, loving one another. Uh, instead of sacrificing themselves for the good of others, their, their self-promotion is their agenda. And so what does Paul do? Paul gives us this famous section, verses 4 and following, in which he personifies love. Paul doesn't define love here. Paul describes love. He puts love in a form as if it's a person who lives and does and acts. And actually, it sticks that way. If you think about it, the literary style of it sticks this way uh, for us. Think of love as a person. In other words, if we're loving, we are, is the idea. If we're loving, we are. If we're not loving, we're not. And if we're not these things, we're not loving. That's the idea. So let's take a look at it. Uh, what we're going to do is we're going to work through these fairly briefly, and then I want to kind of uh, kind of take a step back and look at the bigger picture of how love works, okay? So if, if you've got, like, Google Earth on your phone or something, we're going we're to zoom in, and then we're going to zoom back out, okay? So don't think just because we zo- we're done zooming in, we're done. That's what I'm basically saying, all right? We're going to zoom in. We're going to zoom out, and we'll see both, okay? So love is, first of all, patient. Why would he have to start with patient, right? Love is patient. This is not talking about like patient with lawnmowers, patient with chainsaws, patient with your phone that locks up. This isn't about patient with stuff, although that's not bad. It's patience with people, okay? Love is patient with people. What does that mean? That means that people are going to be in your life. They're going to bug you. Is that fair? Right? People are going to be in, in your life that are going to bug you. We're going to have difficult people in our lives, and we, we, they have issues, and we have issues. Uh, we may not like to admit it. You have issues. The person sitting next to you does. I do. Everybody does. Welcome to the human race, right? We all have something, Somebody has to be patient with us, Lord willing, and we have to be patient with others. God is calling us to patience. God's calling us to kindness, kind. This is the same idea as tender. It's the opposite of roughness. Um, I I, I think in uh, American Christianity in the last 20 years, there's been an increasing tendency to try to emphasize the masculinity of the faith. And I'm a guy, and I was a baseball player in college. I like... I, I like guy stuff. I didn't know what a ballet was until I had a daughter, uh, and now I go to everything. I, I can tell you what a tutu is for the first time in my life. I can tell you what the names of certain shoes are. So I, it's it's an interesting world for me. I don't know anything about it. I'm learning it right now. Uh, but she values it, so I value her, I value her, so I value what she values. But but I don't really get all that. Okay, as far as so I get the 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 desire to have a masculine. Emphasis on Christianity. I, I, I love that part in some ways, but in some ways it's dead wrong. Because in the form of a masculine emphasis on Christianity, I think we've seen that it can come across as rough and tough and not kind and tender. The Bible calls us to gentleness, to kindness, to tenderness. Uh, and if we're not careful, we will think tough is okay. No, tough is not okay, rough is not okay. Uh, we do not have the right to say everything we think. Do you ever meet anybody that speaks their mind? You ever notice that those who speak their mind usually don 't have much of one? right? <laughs> Did, have you ever thought about that the Bible that the Bible actually forbids you to speak your mind sometimes? Have you ever thought about that? Read Proverbs. The Bible says those who speak their mind are fools. right We think we're being tough. We think we're just saying it like we 're just saying it like it is. Hold it. There are people listening to those words. Those people matter to you more than your ego, and your desire is to build up the people around you to give grace to those who hear and to choose words that bless and encourage and strengthen people, not just to say whatever you think to be tough, right? And so he, the lo- love is kind. It's tender. It's gentle. Um, love is not envious. It's not jealous, it goes on to say, Paul says. Love wants the best for others. Love does not want the successes of others to be taken from them and given to ourselves, but love likes the successes of others. Love wants the successes of others. Love is thrilled at the successes of others. Love is also not, uh, does not boast. It does not call attention to itself. It is not self promoting, it is unpretentious. Uh, We don't want, we're not looking to get praise. This is by the little side. Now, this doesn't mean you can't rejoice in what God's doing right in your life. If you love the people around you and they love you, you need to be able to rejoice. So if something went right and you got a great grade in class, you had a great um, uh, thing happen in your life, you got a job, you got a promotion, you got a raise, uh, something went right, you should celebrate that with the people around you. That's not pride. That's not Self-promotion, that's just sharing life with people. And your joy should be our joy, and our joy should be your joy. Does that make sense? So don't misunderstand boasting. Boasting is not that. If you, if you don't tell people what went right in your life that love you, you might not want to tell everybody in the street corner that. But if you want to tell each other what's going right, that's, that's sharing life together. That's not boasting. There's a difference in boasting. And you can kind of smell the difference, right, when it's around. Sometimes people are trying to get you to go, man, you're good. When that, if, if that's your goal when you're talking, that's a different, different thing. But if you're just celebrating what God's doing, why wouldn't you celebrate what God's doing? That's just rejoicing in, in life, and those who rejoice with those who rejoice would be doing the same. So it doesn't, it's, not, it's patient, it's kind, it's not envious, it's not boastful. Another one, is not proud or puffed up. This is the same kind of idea. Uh, he says it twice for effect because they need it twice, I guess, and we do too probably. That, that love is humble, it's other-focused, it's not arrogant, it's not seeking to build up ourselves, but to build up others. It is not indecent, or shameful, or rude, as some translations say. What does that mean? Love is consistent with holiness, it's pure, it's not impure, it's not immoral. Anybody associating love with immorality doesn't understand the Bible's view of love. Love is clean, it's good, it's holy, that's the idea in the Bible. Love does not insist on its own way, he goes on to say. Love does not have to be right. It doesn't have to get, we don't have to get our way when we're actually loving people. We want others to have their way too. We want what they want. Uh, We don't need to win, in other words. You don't have to win. You don't have to get your way. You don't have to be right all the time. You don't have to prove your point all the time if it's not good for others, if it's not best for the group. Sometimes you have to win for what's good for the group. There's occasionally situations in life where you have to argue a position firmly and forcefully to get... The, the group persuaded that something is biblical, right, appropriate, the next logical, whatever it is, and that's fine. There are meetings that are supposed to be not just oh, well, what do you want? Well, what do you want? Well, what do you want? That's not it either. Or like if, you know, if I'm taking my wife out to eat, the worst thing that can happen is if she says well, where do you want to go? I don't know. Where do you want to go? Well, where do you want to go? I don't know where you want to go. That's not what well, we're trying to defer but at some point make a decision, right? That's true in terms of life. You've got to, you've got to express who you really are be honest with your views, be honest with your feelings, be honest with your goals and your, your ideas of what you're thinking, be honest with your interpretations of the biblical passage, but not shoving it down people's throats where you can't walk away not getting what you thought. The other people matter and their growth in the Lord, then the body of Christ as a whole matters more than you and your view. Uh, Paul says this and in, in, uh, asks the questions in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 7. He says, why not just suffer wrong? I don't know if you remember the passage. There are Christians suing each other in the church. And Paul asks a question nobody probably even thought to ask. Why not just lose? Why not just, in this case, why not just be defrauded? Why not just lose? Why not just suffer wrong instead of hurt the body of Christ? What a strange concept for us. In other words, the church is so important that you're willing to lose something, ego, money, situation, honor, titles. You'd rather just lose it. For this. If, if that's what it's going to take for the church to thrive, you'd rather give that up for the church to thrive. That sounds a little bit like Jesus, doesn't it? He's willing to give himself away for something like us. Love is not irritable. It's not irritable. This is long-suffering, not given to outbursts of anger. Love is not resentful. It doesn't keep record of offenses. I love this one. It's the one that hits me. It doesn't keep lists on people. Love doesn't keep lists on people. In other words, love forgives. Love has a forgiving spirit. You ever thought about this? It's not a sin to get your feelings hurt, but it is a sin to keep your feelings hurt. You ever thought about that? Love is quick to forgive. Love is trying to forgive. Love is seeking relationship. It's not a sin to get your feelings hurt. Sometimes you got your feelings hurt because they were supposed to get hurt. Somebody said something they shouldn't have said, offended you, forgot you, neglected you, sought to hurt you, all kinds of various ways, and you got your feelings hurt because you weren't treated appropriately. Sometimes you get your feelings hurt because they, they should have been hurt, not because you're proud, not because you're selfish, not because you did anything wrong, not because you're too sen- sensitive. Sometimes it's just because life bumped into you and it didn't go well, right? But it is sin to keep them hurt. Love forgives. Love doesn't keep lists. Love, love works on relationships. Now, I'm not getting into, I'm not trying a little, little footnote if I can do that in a sermon. Can you do footnotes in a sermon? A footnote Forgiveness is a really tricky com- topic with millions of nuances that need to be addressed. And I'm not claiming to handle all those nuances in this 25-second comment on forgiveness, okay? So if you want to study that, there's a book out by Don D.A. Carson called Love in Hard Places. So if you have difficult, major difficulties in your life, that somebody did something to you that's really, really bad, uh, and you've got to deal with the hard part of forgiveness... You know, we're not just talking about Josh hurt my feelings stuff. He didn't say hi to me. He didn't hug me when he hugged the other person. No, not that stuff, but somebody actually hurt you in a major way. I'm not trying to deal with it so glibly in this sermon. Does that make sense? I'm talking about 99% of life where you're bumping into people and, and things just, just come along. You have to have a forgiving spirit. You, have to have, you need to be able to, for, to choose to forgive. Then... Um, it, love also does not rejoice over injustice. Love is tied to justice. Love is tied to what's appropriate. Again, have you noticed that? Love is tied to these other virtues. Love does, but it does what? It rejoices in the truth. Love delights in the truth. It rejoices in the truth. It endorses the truth. It's related to truth. Love without truth is not true biblical. Love, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. We could take those one by one, but in one way, they're, they're, the effect is more important. It's the four that, boom, they come down uh, all at the same time. You, it bears all things. It puts up with all things. It 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 stays in relationships as long as possible. People are not disposable. And friendships are not disposable, and church relationships are not disposable. Love uh, has to operate in the real world, and the real world is filled with tif- difficulties and tensions and, and things that go right and things that go wrong and things that are easy to deal with and things that are hard to deal with and people honoring you and people disrespecting you and all kinds of things in, in all of relationships, in marriage, in parenting, uh, in being parented, uh, in relationships at church, in relationships in your small group, in relationships at work. It's going to take a whole set of bearing all things, learning to uh, realize that difficulties don't have to define the relationship, that people matter, people are not disposable, and so I'm going to stick with it. I'm going to stick with relationships, and I'm going to try to have honest friendships. Now sometimes friendships can't that takes two people to be friends, right? Sometimes you're dealing with people who they've done they've walked away from the situation. There's only so much you can do and that's a whole another footnote you'd have to get into. But the idea is love does not run away from the difficulty and the messiness of community. Love accepts it and embraces it. Love believes all things, it generously trusts. It's not pessimistic, it's not cynical, it's not skeptical. It doesn't mean gullible, it doesn't mean foolish, but it isn't cynical either. In our, in our culture, cynical is the, sort of the, the standard. Uh, we've got to be careful uh, with that. Love trusts, love hopes for all things. It hopes for the best in people, it sees the best in people. It realizes the weaknesses of people and yet looks past the weaknesses to what the gifts are, what the strengths are, what the possibilities are. It, it sees past what 's in front of you and looks for and has hope for the future in that person that's something that's going to be very important to you as you as you uh, teach people lead people serve people is to see past what's in front of you right see past what's in front of you uh, Joshua was putting down his first sermon and preaching class last night i don't I think it was after everybody was gone and we were just talking and I was thinking and, and we were talking about it and that's not, I've listened to a lot of first sermons, okay? Uh, that's not always the best thing in the world. It's sort of like being like the driver's ed guy, okay? And so uh, it's not a safe thing to do. Um, but he, I don't remember, I, I remembered it being fine. I don't remember, I remember really the bad first sermons, by the way. I remember those. It wasn't one of those. It was good. I remember it was fine. But he, 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 he told this long detailed story about how bad it was. I didn't think it was bad. But in a way, that's sort of what we do, isn't it? We're not—we're looking at what's in front of us, not just what's happening right then. We're looking at here. He loves the Lord. He loves the Word. He loves people. He's he studied hard. He's clear. He's organizing it well. It's coming out fine, and then later, great, and then. But that's what, isn't that what we do? We're just looking, pat, we're looking forward. We're looking ahead. We're looking into what will be, not just what is. That's, that's how every, every relationship is supposed to be. We always should be doing that. And love endures all things. That means it perseveres. If I could say it this way, love keeps loving. Love keeps loving. So with all that in mind, what is love? He never defined it. Well, there's a lot of attempts out there and nobody's got a perfect one. Mine certainly isn't. But let me give you at least toward a definition of love. Love genuinely desires the good of others and gives of ourself for their good. Genuinely desiring the good of others and giving of ourselves for their good. It's not perfect, but it's in the ballpark. Jonathan Edwards, a great theologian and pastor a few hundred years back, said this. He talks about love's diffusive nature. Anybody use the word diffusive nature this, this morning before breakfast? Diffusive nature. What in the world is he talking about? He's saying love espouses the needs of others. It, it, um, he says this. selfishness is a principle that contracts the heart and confines it to the self, while love enlarges it and extends it to others. By love, a man's self is so extended and large that others, as far as they were beloved, as do as it were, become parts of himself, so that when their interests are promoted, he believes his own is promoted. When theirs is injured, his is injured. In other words, I have a 12-year-old daughter. The best way to get on my good side would be to bless my daughter. The best way to get me mad at you would be to hurt my daughter. Right? I mean, is that parents in the room... It doesn't even have to be logical. That's just the way it is. And so, um, why? Because I love her. How you treat her is how you treat me, even if you don't know that that's happening. How you treat her is how you treat me. Um, How you treat my wife is how you treat me. How you treat my friends is how you treat me. So forth. Is that that fair? Why? That's how how love works. If somebody somebody in, in your life in your community group at church or your friends here at church if something goes wrong in their life and you don't hurt for them watch watch out do you really love them if something if something goes right in their life and you don't rejoice with them and you're a little bit jealous of them do you really love them you sort of love them cuz love extends the heart out to others and fixes itself on others so when that person is blessed you feel blessed. You feel excited about it. When that person is injured, you feel personally injured as well. So what does this love look like? Now I want you to notice what what Paul is basically doing is he's saying that in multiple contexts. Now love is a universal truth that's rooted in the nature of God who who is objective and true and real. Love is not something that is sort of true some days and not other days. But With that in mind, we need to see how love shows up and and looks differently in different situations. The context and the occasions of love make love look different in different situations. For example, in the context of frustrating circumstances and people, love looks like patience, right? In the context of the successes of others, love looks like not envying, but rejoicing as they rejoice. In the context of someone's of our own successes. Love doesn't boast in the context of someone's sin against us. Love shows up as not keeping track of wrongs and being quick to forgive and so forth. Sometimes love will look differently, but it's still love. So my daughter, I'll use her as an example again. So love will look differently in a given day. So um, it will look like a hug. It will look like a way to go. It will look like a, yes, you can do math. It will look like, don't ever say that to your mother again, right? Uh, when she does something she shouldn't do, it'll, it will it'll be like, I love you too much to let you keep doing that, right? And so uh, love is going to show up in the same day. It's going to feel different. Uh, you can love somebody, and that doesn't mean they always receive it as love. It doesn't mean they always feel it as love. It doesn't mean it always feels mushy. Right? It doesn't always seem sentimental, uh, it, 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 but it can still be love. And so love will look differently in different situations. Also notice that our love is reflective of God's love, which we don't have time for, but notice that all these things are true of God. God is patient and kind. God rejoices in the truth. God forgives. God puts up with things. God perseveres in his relationship with us. Uh, He bears all things and endures all things, right? God defines love. We don't. And what actually is happening in the Christian life is we are becoming people of love. What does that mean? We're becoming more like Jesus. What does that mean? We're becoming more godly. What does that mean? Well, it means that we're living out in part a little bit about what God is like in his character. The fruit of the Spirit is what? God's character flowing in us and out of us through the work of Christ and through the, the work of the Spirit so that we become people who are increasingly loving, increasingly holy, increasingly good, increasingly merciful, increasingly patient, and so forth, right? So our love is reflective of His love. Now you might be asking, you said in the definition that love is genuinely desiring the good of others and giving of ourselves for their good. So what is, how does love and self-giving work? What does it mean that we're self giving? Some people use the word sacrificial. That's fine. That language doesn't always mean everything to everybody, different things to different people. It's self giving. Love is self giving. What does that mean? Well, love in one way is uh, the, sort of the, saying the same thing as Jesus says in a famous passage in Luke 9 or Matthew 16. If anyone will come after me, let him, do you remember, deny himself, take up him his cross, and follow me. Whoever. Gives his life away for my sake will find it. Whoever keeps his life for their own sake will lose it. Now, think about that and love. Isn't it the same thing? It's certainly Jesus is talking in big categories, so I'm not trying to just limit it to love, but it's consistent with love. That if you want to follow Jesus, if you want to follow Jesus by loving others, you're going to deny yourself. Love means what? You want their success more than you want yours. You want their lives to flourish more than you have to flourish. You want want to bless them more than you want to be blessed by them. You're denying yourself. You're giving giving your agenda away. There's something in you that has to die to self as you you follow him. Uh, Piper says it this way. He said he's, he's dealing with a sermon series on love. He says, we began a, this series on love with a quote from Francis Schaeffer to the effect that when Christians differ, there's a golden opportunity to show the world how we love each other. Schaeffer said this, differences are not the end of love, they're the occasion for love. What a great sentence to think about. Differences, which by the way mean that'll happen every four seconds in life when we're dealing with people. As long as we're awake, there'll be a difference if we're around people. Differences are not the end of love, they're the occasion for love, which means, Piper adds, which means they're occasion for self-death. One of the reasons it's so easy to walk away from a difference instead of working it out is you don't have to die. Before we see a great resurgence of love, Piper says, we will have to die. Being long-suffering means dying to the desire for an untroubled life. Having no jealousy means dying to the desire for an unshared affection. Not boasting means dying to the desire to call attention to our successes. Not acting rudely means dying to the desire to express our freedom offensively. Not seeking our own way means dying to the dominance of our own preferences. Not being easily provoked means dying to the need for no frustrations. Not taking account of wrongs means dying to the desire for revenge. Bearing all things and enduring all things means dying to the desire to run away from the pain of relationships. So love is self-giving. It is we are we are we are putting God first, others second, ourselves next, and we are consciously doing so when we love. Because our natural way of life is to put ourselves first, and along the way, we'll put God and others in the mix if we feel like it. But as we begin to to live the Christian life, we are choosing, and it has to be a choice, and it has to be moment by moment, we're choosing to put others, obviously God, others ahead of us. And that's not normal. It is not normal. But I want you to notice that dying to self and self-giving are not the end in Jesus' teaching and in Paul's. There's a reversal. Those who cling to our life, those who build our lives around ourselves will do what? We lose it. We actually don't have real life. What we have is less than life. Those who do what? Lose their lives, lose our lives for Christ's sake, we do what? We find it. We find life. We find the purpose of life. We actually live out what it means to be in the image of God finally. We find it. Jonathan Edwards puts it this way. If you are selfish and make your own private interest your idol, God will leave you to yourself, catch this, and he'll let you promote your own interests as well as you can. But if you do not selfishly seek your own, but you do seek the things that are Jesus Christ and the things of your own fellow human beings, God will make your interest and and happiness his own charge, and he's infinitely more able to provide for it and promote it than you are. In other words, there's a sense in which God says, all right, you want to be selfish? Do the best you can. Go ahead and fail on your own, right? Like telling me to build a bridge. Okay, go. Just, uh, I'm going to go build the bridge. I don't need to read instructions. I don't need to know anything. All right, sit back and watch it fail. Versus go to God for help and put, promote the, the good of others, then God is actively helping you. God is actively giving you the resources you need to do it. He's not in your way. He is a blessing to you. And so the, the path of death to self, the path of self-giving are the same thing as the path of the cross and the path of love. The path of death to self, the path of self-giving, the path of valuing others, the path of the cross, the path of love. This is all one thing. This is not five things. This is one thing. You, If you are loving others, you are denying yourself, taking up your cross, and pursuing uh, They're good, the glory of God and the good of others in your life. So with that in mind, so some, from down to the text, sort of broad, let me give you back with some closing comments. So six closing thoughts. Number one: we do not simply love the idea of love. we love people. We can't let ourselves love the idea of love. we have to love people. It's easier to like the idea of love than to, do, than to actually love. It's easier to love the idea of community than to actually live in community, for example. Have you ever thought about that? So be careful, because everybody you're going to love has issues. You do too. So do I. But everybody has issues. Everybody's prickly. There's a book out called Everybody's Normal Till You Get to Know Them, right? Right? I don't know if the book's any good. The title's good. And so it's true. Everybody's got something. We're all weird. We all got something. Second, be careful not to substitute serving for love. Just because you're checking all the boxes, whoa, that doesn't necessarily mean. maybe You may be serving out of love, but don't substitute serving for love in the place of love. Don't do what the Corinthians did. Genuine love leads to serving as a byproduct. Serving may or may not come out of love. Serving could come out of duty. It could come out of wanting to feel good about yourself. It could come out of wanting to be noticed. It could come out of a lot of motivations. But genuine love will lead to serving because you value others and you want to give for them. Third, we love because people matter to God and they matter to us. We love because people matter to God And they matter to us. In other words, we don't simply love a cause, we love people. We don't love an agenda, we love people. We may promote a cause because we love people, but sometimes we'll let the cause get substituted for people. We hate people as we love our cause. Watch the news every four seconds. Both sides are doing that. Loving their cause more than they're loving people. The Bible doesn't say that. The Bible's saying you're loving people... (laughs) And because you love people, you'll be promoting some causes for people. But if you get that out of order, you'll mess it all up. We love because people matter. They're made in the image of God. They matter to God. They matter to us. They matter. There's no, nothing more important in the universe other than God than people. You're looking at the second most important thing in the universe when you're looking at people. They matter. They deserve our investment. They deserve our self-giving. Number four, the way of love is the way of life. The way of love is the way of life. The way of selfishness is the, is the path to destruction. It's the path of a wasted life. It's the path of missing the point. The way of love is the way of true purpose, the way of true joy, the way of true living out of the image of God that we've been created in. Number five, we're all works in progress. If I could use this phrase, we're all under construction. We're not done yet. Until you get to heaven, there's some work to to do. And so where are we going to spend our time? How are we going to build our lives? How are we going to move forward? What are we going to be preoccupied with? I would say, Paul is saying, you can't find something more central than love to be focused on. You can, yes, work on skill sets. Yes, work on talents. Yes, work on people skills. All the things we can work on. First and foremost, work on our love. Work on our love. And then number six. We need to be givers of love, and we need to be receivers of love. This is to a church, and Paul is telling people to love others, but there's a sense in which the opposite has to be too. You have to receive love too, right? You are what you and I are not what we need to be. Somebody needs to be patient with us. You and I have done something we shouldn't have done. We hope that they don't keep track of wrongs on our part, right? We've said stuff we shouldn't have said. We hope they don't hold it against us. Does that make sense? We give love for the sake of others, but we also have to receive love. If you can't receive love, there's a pride issue. In the Christian life, you need to learn, we have to all learn how to receive. We have to learn how to be interdependent. In our day and age, we like to pull ourselves up. We like to do our thing. We like to be strong. You know what? That's all, that, some of that's good. But you and I need each other in the body of Christ. We are to be people of love. That means you need to love people and people need to love you. They need it and you need it. We all need it. Sometimes they need to grab you by the hand and pull you up so that you make it through the next week and follow the Lord well. Sometimes you need to pull them up and help them make it through the next week, next month, next year, and follow the Lord well. You you, and I need each other. The church is a body of Love, it's the people of Jesus, people who are defined most of all by love, right? Uh, CBU, back about when you were there, Josh, I don't know if you saw the t-shirt. There were some t-shirts out there. They will know you're my disciples by their t-shirts. Well, the verse actually says, they will know you're my disciples by your love. Uh, And so genuine love is not plastic. It's not uh, subculture-ish. It, it invests in the people around you. And here's what happens in the body of Christ. We have to treat each other like this. I don't intend to make it to heaven without you. When you join the church, if you become members of a church like this, what you're saying is, the church is saying this, we are going to invest in you. We want you to invest in us. We're going to love you. We want you to love us. We're not planning to make it to heaven without you, and we're, not gonna, we're, we're assuming you're not going to make it to heaven without us. That's what a church is, is you're side-by-side, shoulder-to-shoulder, loving and receiving, giving and receiving, giving and receiving. You need both. We need both if we're going to be people of love. So the pinnacle of spirituality, pretty straightforward, isn't it? Hard to do, but straightforward. Let's become increasingly defined as people of love. Amen? Let's pray. Father, that's what we want. We know it's what your word is saying. All of us struggle with this. I'm sure all of us in this room battle to try to be more and more like this. We pray that we'd be characterized by your love, that you might be exalted from it. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: Hey, thanks, Chris. Um, At this time, uh, we are going to come to the table. We're going to do communion. Um, So if you're new here today or you haven't, been a part of this what we do we do this every week and we come forward there's table in the back and there's tables up here and we're going to take the juice represents the blood of jesus christ and we're going to take the bread and the beauty of communion i think is just coming forth and god created us a clean heart having a time of repenting um maybe that's your week maybe you just need to stop and just thank god for his goodness and his forgiveness and i love acts 319 it says at the the time of repentance is the beginning of refreshing refreshingness in the presence of the lord And so maybe that's where you are today, but there's also something beautiful about the communion is looking forward to Christ's return. And so we do this with believers all over the world. I love this. And so we're going to come forward and just take some time to pray and just seek God. We're going to play some music and do some worship and sing. And uh, you guys can go to the back or the front and just take your time with the Lord.